on, everybody? This is your host, Rashio Patnala. Today, I am here with Mr. Levi Bankert. Mr. Levi is a real estate professional with over 20 years of experience in the industry. Mr. Levi, how are you? Good. Excited to be here. Quite the cool little setup you got here. Yes, it is, is awesome. a very cool studio. We're doing it. We're doing the real deal here. That's right. Yeah, man. Podcasts in person are like so much better. When you're listening, you can just tell if they're on Zoom and not in the, not in the same place. Like, it's, it's pretty cool to do it in a studio. It's right. Great. It's a lot more personable. Yes, totally. Yes. So for the people who are not on Twitter, let's yep. say you <laughs> are taking an Uber or just meeting people around town. And if they ask you, what do you mainly do? What's your answer? I do uh, what looks on the outside like the most boring uh, possible thing. I buy ugly industrial buildings in Texas, in only actually two different markets in Texas, um, Houston and San Antonio. And we don't buy, I mean, they're not flashy. They're something you would pass on the freeway and not even glance at. And we buy as many of those as we can get our hands on. I've found a, a very tight, you know, buy box of what works well for us. And we just focused deeper and deeper and deeper into that specific, you know, type of asset and specific markets and getting to know all the sellers and all the other owners and understand rents and understand deeper about what works in this market. And, uh, you know, the deeper we go, the more we learn and the more we, you know, like this market, but are also finding that we can generate better and better returns the, the deeper we get into it so it's right. fun i love it um if i'm at a party and someone asks me what i do uh, they pretty much want to get away from me as soon as possible <laughs> <laughs> which I'm, I'm okay with that that's fine i don't care <laughs> right we will dive deeper into the commercial real estate side of things yeah later on in the conversation but before we get to that how'd you get started or I know you have started several businesses before. Yeah. Um, whenever you were younger, things such as a coffee shop. Um, kind of, you know, where did that entrepreneurial flair kind of come from? Or kind of. Yeah, like I to- mean, real young. So my wife and I got married. Um, I was 18. We got married, had our first kid a year later. Uh, just felt like it was time to just get going (laughs) didn't go to college i didn't even actually finish high school i took my ged and really tested out so i Mm -hmm. could go start a business i spent i forget exactly how long it was two or three months working in a welding shop my wife always jokes that she thought she was marrying a welder but um, that did not last long (laughs) um quickly realized a i didn't want to work for somebody else um, I tested out of, out of high school because I felt like that was not the most efficient way for me to learn. I wasn't retaining a lot of what I was learning, but I was I was I had this insatiable appetite to learn. And so I was constantly, I mean, I've, I've read, you know, thousands of books. I, everything I can get my hand on, my, my hands on. My favorite is, uh, like, basically just biographies or autobiographies about, you know, business leaders and people who have done stuff. Like, I just get entirely immersed into something like that, where a textbook just, that's not how my brain works. I think there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me. That's just not me. And so I realized, you know, hands-on and through reading, I could I could most likely get a lot further, which turned out to be true. Um, and so I started, uh, first business we did, my wife and I did together was a small coffee shop. We rented an old bookstore. I mean, literally the rent was like $800 a month. Um, and I did all of the work myself, put in all of the plumbing, the city inspector, I made friends with this guy. The He would come back just again and again and again and be like, nope, that's not right. Tear it out. Do it again. <laughs> like I did the whole thing myself. Um, eventually opened. I think it took like seven months to put in all the fixtures and had to put a new bathroom in and just completely plumbing, electrical, everything. Figured right. it all out, opened it up, um, ran that for, oh gosh, I can't remember how long, a year and a half or so. Opened up a second location as well. And then sold both of those. Um, actually, like made money on it. It was a successful exit, and I was—I don't think I was even twenty yet. That's awesome. At yep. twenty years old. Yep. Wow. Yep. I so, mean, not huge. I think uh-huh. it was like seventy-five thousand dollars we sold this thing for. But it was still you know, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Had started it with mm-hmm. a loan from friends. My one of my friends' parents loaned us. I think it was like eleven thousand dollars. 
and did all the work you know myself so that I was able to keep the cost down but just an incredibly incredibly cheap you know startup wow and it made money the first month like it was incredible um, your first job at a venture was successful that's right that's awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> got a win on the first try that's right were your parents supportive or what was the decision to not go to college because it seems like you are very successful without um, going the traditional route. Obviously, you're very self-educated. Yeah. But kind of, if someone, if a young person comes up to you and asks, would you recommend going to college or not going to college? Because I think, you yeah, know, man, I, uh-huh. it's an interesting. You know, I've debated it a lot. My so I, my wife and I have four kids. Right. Our oldest, my oldest, just graduated from UT. That's um, awesome. Super proud of him. He was the. Um, he kept a 4.0 for all four years, was the student body president, um, got to speak at the, the big graduation like in front of 15,000 people. It was pretty cool. Wow. Um, our, our kids are going to college, and I'm encouraging them, and we're paying for it. Like We're like, you know, we got your back. Go and do that. I feel like although I was able to supplement that learning with this just kind of insatiable appetite to go and, you know learn myself I really do feel like we both my wife and I missed out on a kind of social just fun time that that is provided it's like a kind of half step out into the real world it's a Uh, little buffer yeah exactly I don't think I would have made it through college I don't Mm -hmm. think you know had I had parents I had got a bit in the situation that was like hey you're doing this go for it I still don't think I would have made it because I just needed to kind of get my hands dirty and that was not me, but I still very much think it's a great direction to go get started and it it allows time. And I mean, there's just a lot that both of us had to learn later on that we could have learned in a kind of almost like an environment that just allows you to, to make mistakes with less consequence. Right. Yeah. And it almost does provide a structured approach if you know where you're going yeah. for um for sure so you started a coffee shop sold it 20 years old what was next started flipping houses actually Uh just bought our first house it's funny walked into a real estate agent's office still remember this guy i need to look him up brian mcmartin his name was walked in like you know unannounced didn't like call ahead or anything walked in and we're like hey we want to buy a house and he was like how much money do you have saved up and we were like $1,500, $1,500, I think. <laughs> you know, he's like, all right, let's do that. <laughs> like, I could not believe it. He should have just, you know, shoved, shoved us out the door and said, go save up some money. Um, I, incredible. He probably made almost nothing on this house we bought. We paid $101,000, $102,000 for it. Where was this? In Sacramento, California. Okay. Where we were living. So we were in a tiny little apartment and, found, you know, uh-huh. found this this real estate agent. He showed us dozens and dozens of houses and basically i was telling him like hey i can figure out how to do the work here we don't need something that's super cleaned up like let's you know i'm going to be entrepreneurial here let's find something that needs some work and he he patched together an fha loan uh i think i don't know if it's still around it's called the nehemiah fund it was this fund that basically gave you i think it was five percent of the purchase price as a forgivable loan if you stayed there for more than 10 years, otherwise it was owed back without interest when you sold and it went back into the fund and then they would go do it again. Um, so we basically just, and then there were a couple of other programs that we applied for and got basically like grants to help us buy this house. Mm-hmm. And this was in Sacramento in 2000, I guess was the first house we bought. And oh, we, wow. we moved in, did a bunch of work to it. It was this old Victorian house, tore walls out, added, a whole, took the whole basement and added rooms down there and stuff and sold it, I don't know, a year later for $170,000 or something. And so made, made money on that. And we're like, heck yeah, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Seems like you've had a good track record based off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, not all good, certainly, uh-huh. but had had a couple At of good wins early, early on. Yeah, uh-huh. That's good. So did you continue to flip homes? And then eventually, what was that transition from residential to commercial like? Um, much later, okay. uh, did residential for years and years, uh-huh. um, started, yeah, flipped a bunch of houses, basically just throughout California. Like, yeah. All in Sacramento area it would buy 
go and do the work. A lot of it myself ended up picking up different subs that would do tile and electrical and HVAC and things. And sometimes would do three houses at once. And, you know, it was a good time. Mortgages were easy to get. Uh, home prices were going up. This is early 2000s, you know, going up for a little while. And then just kind of kept growing from there. Um, started doing land development too, because I'd bought one property that had land and split it up and realized it was a big opportunity there. And so then I started buying basically just raw farmland and splitting it up and then kind of moving more and more urban over time to where eventually owned a, about 70% of this whole neighborhood right across the river from downtown Sacramento. So the Capitol building was less than a mile away, but there was this neighborhood that was trailer parks and crack houses. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was just kind of a mess, but it was real small. I mean, it was the levee was right there and there were a couple of, uh, it was like train tracks that kind of just ended there. And on the outside of it was really nice neighborhoods and Sacramento, I mean, downtown was right there, but this neighborhood was just bad. I mean, it was not safe whatsoever right. and mostly vacant condemned houses. Some of them were homeless people were living in them. And so I just started buying everything I could get my hands on in there and I bought actually a couple of different trailer parks that had, I mean, these were trailer parks with maybe 50 pads and there were four homes left in there that people were living in. The rest was just gone or abandoned wow. or cleaned out. And so then we would go in and basically rent those people an apartment for a couple of years, buy their trailer from them and, you know, evict them. But it was a negotiation. It wasn't like we were just putting them out on the street. We would help, help them go transition into something else eventually cleared all of those off of the multiple parks and leveled a bunch of old houses and mm -hmm. cleaned out. I mean, it was just, you know, overgrown brush and stuff. And do, I mean, it was like this grand vision. I owned enough of the neighborhood to where I would go into the city council meeting and say, Hey, I want this one's owned this, this one's owned this. And wow. they would always be like, thank you so much for what you're doing. <laughs> you know, this is incredible. What was the life cycle of that project? Um, so that was a bunch. I mean, that was like uh -huh. 14 different parcels in there, a total of over 400 houses that oh, were wow. part of that kind of grand plan. Mm -hmm. Everything from single family detached houses to multi-story, four or five story tall apartment buildings that we were building in there. Um, this was kind of 2005, six, seven leading up hard stop in 2008. Um, every, I mean, it was just, banks stopped lending sacramento was one of the worst hit in terms of values the value of the portfolio dropped 85 maybe even 90 percent within a six-month period and all of the construction loans that we had the banks called them and said hey we're not you know you're not building anything we're done here <laughs> you know and so this just painful i mean it went from you know, we were living in the most expensive house that had ever sold in West Sacramento, the city right next to Sacramento there, to just, like, done. You know, having to negotiate with banks and handed, over, handed back the keys for buildings that we'd bought. And, I mean, it was a very rough, but learned a ton about, you know, cycles and kind of how real estate goes and negotiating with investors. And I'm so thankful, I say this all the time, but just incredibly thankful for the investors that just rallied around me and said hey this isn't your fault let's go let's go figure this out what can we do and recover what we can here i mean even our our one of our biggest investors today is one who lost several million dollars on properties back then so mm -hmm. leading in 2008 in 2008 yeah yeah basically all the properties i owned were at that point development properties we right. weren't flipping houses and i wasn't you know everything i had was being developed and had to just all can someone who wants to get started in real estate start looking for capital yeah i mean i think first and foremost is find good projects the capital will come for the right operator who you know has first first of all the a good project that is sustainable and, and works and so the best way to do that is just get the reps in i mean i think uh, you know if i had to go do it over again i probably would be a broker for a while just to see more deal flow to see what's what's going on in the market and then eventually get to the place where I pick up start to pick up properties on my own after I knew, you know, I knew every single property that was being sold in that market, every transaction that was happening and knew that this one is priced really well and this strategy is solid and going to be accepted by the market. Mm -hmm. I like to rewind a little bit. So, yeah. you sold a coffee shop. Yep. And then went to 
flipping the first home did why real estate to begin with um was it just getting that exposure with yeah, the I mean, coffee shop or the coffee shop was uh-huh. fun but i realized with that the a I, it took me a while at, the, at that age i was not a good leader i i remember just struggling to find and uh motivate a team hire choosing the right people putting them in roles figuring out what they were good at training like this was just all kind of above my head and so i ended up being there a lot and then realized that's just a grind i mean i had to get up at 4 a.m one of us had to be there at 4 a.m every morning even when we would train staff it's like sometimes they wouldn't show up so i'd have to basically like you know be up at 4 a.m and make sure someone was showing up um and, and of course you know there are plenty of businesses that have figured this out where the owner's not doing this every day. Me at 19 years old, this was a struggle, but also eye-opening to owning a business that was just an operational grind day in and day out. And you're trying to get the efficiency out of it through you know, negotiating the coffee bean prices down. And are you double cupping everything mm-hmm. or, you know, like just all these little mini decisions that lead to a slightly better profit margin and slightly more cash flow at the end of the month was not for me. I wanted to go do a project that I could make a tangible difference. And I actually got really in, in, and I don't do this anymore, but really just involved in the idea of building real estate. I wanted to build something that left a mark that I wanted to stand there on a street corner and see an empty lot. And then two years later, stand there and see this building that, you know, I'd found architects to design and fought through, you know, rezones and rezone with the city and preserve trees to make it look good and make this walkable, you know, all these things, I, which I, I love. And I'm mm-hmm. like the utmost of respect for developers. I, later in my career, I got to this point where I was like, I'm not developing anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the market that you're in when you envision a project is never the market that you're in when you, when that project finishes. It can often just entirely flip on you. The the there's so many assumptions that you're making about kind of how much demand is out there in the market, what people want, that sometimes you get it right and that's great. And there's some areas, some people have gotten it right over and over again, but there's there are many incredibly smart real estate developers who have have made all of the right choices, used correct assumptions structured their deals correctly that are bankrupt <laughs> because they get get to the end and all of a sudden something interest rates have gone up inflation i mean you know talk about a few that are happening right now inflation there's just so there's there are things that happen in the market between point a and point b that make it very different and so now i've got to a point where i'm just i i buy existing buildings and pay very little for them <laughs> i want you know we look at hundreds and hundreds of assets before we find one and then when we buy it, we make sure that it meets the criteria of being flexible, meaning a bunch of different types of tenants could go in it. It's in a growing area, meaning there's you know new growth and development happening around us. And so there's an increase in demand. Uh, I want huge reserve funds because I want to make sure, regardless of the, what the market does or if we have long vacancies mm-hmm. or rents drop, we're fine. And then I want solid fixed rate debt that I can rely on. That I know I'm not going to all of a sudden have this, you know, just wave hit me of interest rate hikes that happened that put us in a bad spot. Right. So from the development, you decided to pivot into acquisitions. Yep. Yes. I think I read online that it said development and acquisitions are almost two different skill sets. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, there's an acquisitions element to development because you have to buy a piece of land to develop on. But Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly, I feel like it's a very different mm-hmm. skill set. And I am, I and the team that I've put together have the, the constitution and structure to be able to buy and be patient and, you know, buy good, valuable buildings. And sometimes it takes a while to lease, but it doesn't mean you meant, you know, you, you got it wrong. You still have a good asset in a good market and you, you're waiting for the right tenant. I mean, we turn down tenants all the time because they don't have strong financials or we don't believe they're going to be you know, around in the long long run. So ultimately that led you to founding and starting Harbor Capital. Yep. Lots of detours in the middle, started Uh a couple other businesses, exited a big one in 2019. What kind of business? Uh, 
real estate development building again this was the last development business i did building apartment buildings for the u.s government oh wow yep so i co-founded that one international business and we were building apartments in uh ethiopia kenya had when i left there was a pipeline of nigeria uganda rwanda a bunch of different ones basically wherever there was a american embassy they always need staff housing there's an incredible number of american staff that have to live in whatever country where we have an embassy and all of those staff have a minimum set by the by congress of housing standard that they have to live in and so you know i mean it's crazy that there might be a staff member who is a you know administrator at the embassy and that you know they make good money when they go overseas maybe they're making $125,000 $150,000 a year but then they you know moved over there with a spouse and a couple of kids and so they have a 3,000 square foot home with a security guard posted out front a system that they install into that house to have clean water that's off the grid and they deliver water to that property uh, off the grid um, system for their own electricity so if the power goes out in the area satellite dishes so they can connect on the, to their own like network systems and they're just rented houses mm-hmm. and so in Ethiopia where the first one that I built was there were 273 houses that the US government had rented many of them were seven eight nine thousand dollars a month for a compound in the city and then they put all the you know after you add all this other costs it was seven hundred nine thousand dollars a month just for one staff member wow to live it's it's insane uh-huh. you know these are your tax dollars at work right and so i basically went to the to the government you know started at the embassy and ended up in washington dc negotiating with them and said hey i'll build you buildings that meet all these seismic security safety standards that you need but you just need to sign a lease ahead of time before i break ground saying you're going to rent it for me for at least 10 years and i mean it's incredible we would you know build a 175 apartments and sign a lease before we even mm-hmm. broke ground and that you know it was like five six seven thousand dollars a month for a two-bedroom apartment wow you build you know a ton of these so great great returns those were, those were oh, I good bet. buildings a ton of travel uh-huh super big stress on on the family being me having to be gone that much and so it was right because you have to mainly be there locally yeah you have to be mm-hmm. in country quite a bit right so that's so fascinating, though, being yeah. able to buy real estate, you know, outside of the country. Yeah. I know a lot of these bigger firms, um, more institutional firms, they look to invest in emerging markets such as like India, Africa, yeah. uh, across the world. It's so fascinating to me just seeing the different, I guess, um, different levels within the real estate industry, right? You start yeah. with, you can not flip a home, but also invest in other countries. Totally. Challenging. Yeah. To the extreme, challenging. I mean, these were two plus year life cycle projects mm-hmm. from when you initially got go ahead from the embassy to, to build a property until you know it was completed i mean this is an enormous enormous projects but certainly worth it but you know you're, you're basically mm-hmm. building to a 16 cap on, on these things it's just incredible returns wow. on cost where in america you, you know you're happy to build to a six seven cap so just amazing returns lots of brain damage Mm -hmm. right so coming back to starting harbor capital was there a pivot or a shift i guess you mentioned the development deal and yeah so i sold Mm -hmm. um sold that business in 2019 end of 2019 um actually that sale closed in like january of 2020 and so then right before pandemic i kind of took some time off trying to figure out what i was doing next enjoying a little bit of you know peace and quiet Mm -hmm. and finally not quite as busy as before um took basically took that time off pandemic hit was great got to spend time with family it was just like really kind of neat time in our life and then but new i i I don't sit still for long and so after that was like i'm gonna get into real estate gonna figure out what you know it had to be real estate i love real estate Mm -hmm. um figure out what part of the market I want to be in. So I'd done LP investments in industrial deals before. Right. Um, good friend of mine, one of my closest friends um, lives in Boulder and owns a company called Legacy Capital Partners, has made just incredible returns over the last 15, 20 years, mostly in industrial business or industrial buildings that he's bought. And so spent 
you know, he's probably got sick of me. I asked him questions over and over and mm-hmm. invested in a bunch of his deals and then had him and he invested with me in several of the, the first ones that I did as well. Um, but yeah, launched Harbor Capital in February of 21 was when we, when I incorporated it. It was literally just me in a room about this size at first. It was a little, really? little kind of like a WeWork office. Uh-huh. Um, I remember I had a whole bunch of sticky notes on the wall of, of goals that, you know, in a year I want to be at this, and two years I want to be at this. And uh, the year one goal was to buy, I think it was $5 million worth, and year two goal was to buy $15 million worth. In year one, we bought 50, we got to 50 million, mm-hmm. so 10x that goal. And then in year two, instead of doing 15, we were at, like, uh, we're right now at a, just at, at year two right now in February, we hit year two, and we're at $140 million of assets under management and another $53 million in contract that we're taking down right now. So mm-hmm. it's grown quickly. We've got 10 people on the team eight here in Austin in our office full-time we are in office full-time I am a big believer in when you're starting a company you got to be face-to-face as much as possible and not remote Um, and then we've got two other kind of satellite offices in San Antonio and Houston as well very cool very cool so do you mainly do your deals on uh I guess raising capital on a deal-by-deal basis or like raising a fund yeah, and so we do deal by deal. Um, big believer in that structure. Mm-hmm. I think it, it works better for investors to have choice in which ones they want to be in. Um, that said, there's a few times, and we're doing one right now, where we'll basically have a couple of properties that we get in escrow at the same time that are a good fit to work together. And so we'll present those to investors as, hey, we're going to buy all these at once. If you invest, you'll get to invest in this pool specific but what we don't do is a blind pool so we don't go raise you know we're gonna raise 50 million dollars and we're gonna go buy real estate within this buy box you know this size these markets this stuff and then then it's just a i mean i don't think that Mm -hmm. obviously what are some of the cons in your opinion of just raising a fund doing it that way i think for investors you often will have you know say you got 15 properties that you buy part of couple of home runs and then some losers and you end up with an average return which of course you can sleep better at night you kind of get that risk Mm -hmm. and normalize it but i would rather as an investor and i find many of our investors feel the same way would rather have that opportunity go in and do their own due diligence and say you know what this one's for me i like this or this is a little more more risky i'm going to put less money into this one we bought back in october we bought a big vacant building that like it was a risk. It was one of those, like, you know, this thing is vacant. We've got a pretty sizable monthly nut to to pay while it's vacant. You know, the property taxes are expensive. The interest payments are expensive. And it might, and it's a kind of unique building. We paid, we stole it, just incredibly low price. But it, it still is going to sit vacant for a little while. And that one, you know, we basically went out to investors and the disclosure page is huge. Like, hey, this this could be a while it could be vacant right. so if you're going to invest here maybe invest a smaller amount than you normally would mm-hmm. we're not you know we're not going to lose your money it's not right. it's not going to go away but it's quite possible that a, a building like that and that it's funny that one actually ended up we've got three offers on it right now and we're going to rent it and it's going to end up being a 12 cap it's incredible uh-huh. like that one turned out really good but i felt good i slept well at night after we raised that money because we had over disclosed to investors right hey you know, not everything goes right. And this one has, you know, a lot more risk where there's other buildings that we've bought where it's like, hey, there's 25 tenants in here. Rents are 40% below market. Uh, you know, we hope these tenants don't pay because then we can kick them out and put in a tenant at market rate. Uh, like nothing's going to go really wrong here. Like you're, you're fine. And so this is a safer deal. We, we just kind of can't identify any of the major pitfalls there. And we're buying at a good price, you know, and so this one's a little better where I think a, um, a fund kind of takes away the investor's ability to pick and choose. Right. Yeah. But there are both ways. Those are the two ways of doing it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Many, many people do funds. Right. Many people do deal by deal syndicate. Mm-hmm. There's not really a right or wrong there. Right. And it's, if you're doing smaller assets, mm-hmm. 
like if someone's buying a bunch of single family which kind of stopped now but there mm -hmm. was a lot of that there's just no way you go raise money deal by deal to buy $300,000 houses you know right. too much paperwork mm -hmm. and so that kind of makes more sense for them where our our typical deal size keeps growing I mean it's probably 12 million dollars per building right now mm -hmm. 8 to 12 was there a reason why when starting Harbor Capital you specifically chose um, industrial buildings yeah wanted a market that was not necessarily mm -hmm. in the middle of kind of on everybody's minds you know everybody at the time not less so now because of interest rates changing but at the time everybody was buying self-storage and class b apartment buildings in tertiary markets and going in and doing you know paint job and putting in a new cabinets and countertops and right carpet and you know renting them out for more doubling the rent or whatever and it, and that worked well i mean especially through covid when all of a sudden we had you know everybody moved in the country <laughs> at the mm -hmm. same time that worked well i having been through kind of the cycles that i've been through i had learned that markets go up and down at different times and and if you look at if you kind of gravitate towards where everybody else is sure you might have a couple of home runs but then that fever pitch and eventually dies down and while industrial even now i mean i think it's now much more of a known category people talk about it a lot very few people actually invest in it it is somewhat it's funny it's stupid simple but also complicated is kind of this dichotomy there it's very simple in that you know their triple net leases meaning the tenant pays for your property taxes they pay for the insurance they pay even our tenants pay for our property manager every month wow and so mm -hmm. we we have a base rent and then this variable triple net cost on top of it and it's really easy for us to do the math then to say hey we're you know our debt service coverage is this all other expenses are on the tenant and you know our, our leases are real simple complicated from the point of view of fire sprinklers uh dock hide doors how many of them is there cross docks do they need to get trucks on both sides and move equipment back and forth how much you know yard space is there is it graded is it drainage in the yard space is it concrete in the yard security fences access how close are you to the bigger roads parking office space is there two stories of office or one is there, i mean there's just so many different layers deep in there and i feel like a lot of people i mean we get calls all the time like or i get dms too on twitter like hey i'm excited i'm gonna invest in industrial tell me everything you know i'm like mm -hmm. it's a lot <laughs> i'm not quite sure how to do that certainly not in a dm here um it it's a complicated market and so even still with all the attention that it's getting there's very few people that actually invest in it so it still gives us an opportunity to you know i kind of hate the word but there's no better one to generate alpha basically mm -hmm. to to take a uh a, you know take a property and do something to it that adds value more than just the market you know gave us a gift and we bought it for x and now it's worth y and we made money I, in my mind we, we we don't make money if that's what happened we make we only make money if we bought a building that we knew was worth more than we were paying for it if we knew how to find good tenants if we knew how to you know do just the right amount of remodel work to that building to where we were increasing NOI or putting the right kind of tenant in there that's real sticky and is going to just pay rent for a long time you kind of add all of those things in and, and you end up with you know just a sound solid safe and boring as heck investment for our investors so yeah that's yeah. very cool I think one thing that is really neat about real estate regardless of the level that you are investing is that it is one asset that you have control over yeah. in regards to adding value like you said yeah and it's certainly. very neat it's very neat if let's say your one of your children come up to you and say hey dad i want to do my first real estate deal yep what are you recommending them to purchase going straight into commercial yeah or uh just start it off with like residential and um yeah yeah that's a good question anybody you know in their yeah, I mean, I would say first start with an, an area you know. I hear people all the time. It's like, I live in, you know, Austin, but I'm buying in, you know, Poughkeepsie or something because it's this market with a bunch of, you know, high IRR or a, a high 
cap rate, which means I'm going to you know earn this really good return on my money. There's a reason why second, third, and fourth tier markets give higher returns. It's because those are higher risk markets. So I wouldn't necessarily say go out in the middle of nowhere because you're going to make more money. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, some people make money out there, but the people who make the most money out in places like that are people who live there and know, oh, that street corner is better than this one. And, you know, this person is dying and their kid's going to inherit it and I can go meet the kid and figure out how to you know, negotiate with them and right. buy that property or, you know, kind of get deeper and deeper and find opportunities. So I would say first start with what an area that, you know, and then pick, I, I kind of am agnostic on, you know, whether it's residential or industrial or, you know, retail space or something, I would just say, find an area where there's not a lot of attention already. And then look at everything. And I mean, everything that's in the market, like, if it's hundreds of properties, go look at every single one of them. You find a broker that's going to like go on this journey with you. Maybe it's five or six brokers because they get mm -hmm. so sick of you. But if you look at every single property that's on the market and put offers on the best 10% of them, and all of those are low ball offers, you're going to find out who wants to play ball and who's ready to sell. And you're going to find an opportunity that works. And then, you know, I mean, I, I think, start small i hear about people all the time like somebody on twitter today was talking about you got to do you know the million dollar deal is easier than a hundred thousand dollar deal not at first it is <laughs> like, <laughs> sure those are like there is some benefit to having sophisticated sellers and right. you know we're buying a relatively small small for us property right now it's i think it's a six million dollar purchase but it's the first like the seller bought that property it's the only property he's ever the only commercial property other than his house you know only commercial property he's ever owned, only real estate other than his house. It's the only time he's ever sold anything. And it's just like a roller coaster for him of you know, like our attorney will send over a letter like, Hey, this is, you know, your title policy has this thing is incorrect and this easement needs to be moved. And he thinks we're like retrading in the sun. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. Send it to your title company. They'll figure it out. Call your attorney. Like, this is how this works, you know? And yeah, my, my point is, is start small so you can figure out what you're doing. Start small and that. then scale up. Yeah. And then scale mm -hmm. up. That's very interesting. Yeah. So I guess back to the perspective of, um, Harbor capital. Yeah. I'm sure that you have seen a ton of deals. Yeah. Right. I guess within the real estate, private equity space, is there a common like trend of deals that go South? Because I think we see a lot of deals like or wins yeah but what are some deals or tendencies within industrial um mm -hmm. the thing i've seen over and over again is people buy core and shell buildings at finished prices like if you're buying your first building and you're like hey this one traded for 112 dollars a foot this one was 140 this one's 136 and wait a minute this one's 68 dollars a foot this is incredible i'm gonna buy the 68 dollar a foot one but then don't realize like, oh, those ones had offices in them. The parking lot was already paved. There was, you know, you can buy a piece of land and put up a metal box for very cheap. That is not a usable, leasable building. You need to have a nice office space. Typically we aim for 10 to 12% of the, you know, if you buy a hundred thousand square foot building, you want 10 to 12,000 square feet of office in there. Uh, you know, you need a lot of like amenities in order to make this metal box actually usable mm -hmm. for a tenant or for a business to be ready to come in and move in. It's important. <laughs> Are the uh, majority of your tenants like e-commerce businesses or just all, all sorts place. of things? Oil and gas, third party logistics, mm -hmm. which is e-commerce, but they're basically shipping and receiving for others. Um, we've had like sports training facilities. Mm -hmm. We've got a company that makes glass for shower doors. We've got contractors. We have auto tint. Um, that's one of my least favorite types of tenants is auto tint. Um, they, it's funny. They always are like, we do like Lamborghinis and like, no, you don't, like, <laughs> you know, you see their websites. It's like Porsche 911 and a Bentley or whatever. And, <laughs> and you go on there, they're like, <laughs> see, and there's like 42 Honda Accords parked out front. <laughs> Just, those things, they always end up taking more parking than they need. So, right. that, you know, 
that's not my favorite tenant when we have an industrial park to, to mm-hmm. <laughs> put them in or auto repair as well they they basically just need to be out on their own they can't really be sharing space we've got a big decking contractor uh, we've got one uh, space i can't believe it it's like fifteen thousand square feet um and somebody stores mink coats in there personally like it's not they're just like i just need a ton of storage because i've got a must mink, be a lot of coats mink coat collection yeah, yeah <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> it's very interesting yeah yeah um so in regards to building a team yeah what have you learned just you know how and this doesn't necessarily need to apply to real estate yeah it can just be more in regards to starting any business i mean how can people find recruit you know just hire the best talent yeah getting out of your own way having a lack of ego i think is a big thing that i mistake that i made early on um being just absolutely ruthless about even after you hire people, if they're not a good culture fit, if they're not every, everyone in the room pulls the room in a certain direction mm-hmm. and it's either positive or negative or neutral. Like, and everybody needs to be adding to where it is that we're headed. And so I, I hold very loosely to exactly what the culture is, but I bring the right people on and allow them to help us shape where we're headed you know, I, I feel like one of the roles that I didn't understand, one of the big components of leadership that I didn't understand early on was like my role is to shine a spotlight on the people who are really good at certain areas and make sure they have all the tools and that they're empowered to do what they are best at and then just get out of their way mm-hmm. and, you know, check in with them. What do you need? Like, I, who, I mean, if I have these one-on-ones every month and my question I always ask is like, what do you want to do? Like what, you know, dream bigger. Like where could you go if you were, if you want, do you want to run a company? Do you want to like, what, what is it? Where is it that you're headed in your career? And if that's someday you're going to start a Harbor capital in, you know, some other city, like fantastic. Like I'm going to help you get there. And I want to be your first investor. Like mm-hmm. I want to hire people that I'm like super enthusiastic about who they are, where they're headed. And looking at our team now, man, it is just packed with incredible people that I am so proud of and thrilled to like watch them flourish and thrive. And I mean, everybody's smarter than me. Like it's just that's my that's my um, bar. Like you got to be mm-hmm. smarter than me to come in. So I I, I enjoy our team meetings because I'm the, I might have more experience a lot of times, and you know I've just done this for longer, but. When I set everybody into like, hey, we got to figure out a better way to do this, they figure out a better way to do it and than I ever could come up with. And that's fantastic. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. You had a tweet talking about the just being hyper focused in your 20s. I was yeah. hoping you could dive deeper into that. Yeah. So I, I spent a long time doing a lot of different types of things uh, it basically was like uh, just not focused enough uh, i was you know uh, like kind of this squirrel mentality you know like oh shiny object or something else I, i'm gonna go do that and so you know flipping houses and then on to land and then uh, you know uh, from there it was like hey we're developing land and selling big properties to you know i'm selling like 100 lots to kb homes this year and 150 lots over here to dr horton why am I letting them make all the profit? I should be a home builder. And so then I bought a home building company and brought their whole staff in our team and started working with them and like basically building our, so we stopped selling land. We kept hung on to it and started doing all this. Like it was always this, like, let's be completely vertically integrated and do all the things. Um, and some of them were just vastly different. You know, it's like just all over the place. Now I'm like, I, I know what I'm good at and don't want to do any of the other things. Like we hire out third-party property management because there are companies out there that are way better than we are at that. Mm-hmm. And that's just not a, that's not a business we want to be in. So we don't have to, you know, we, we in-house the most important aspects of the business, which is due diligence and figuring out what, you know, is this property something we want to buy and strategy, uh, we do asset management. So we're always the ones to make the decision about, you know, should we sign with this tenant? Should we not? 
should we sell right now? How do we reposition the property? Maybe it's time to go, you know, a tenant left. Now let's do a big remodel and make it a different type of property. Maybe we're adding cold storage because there's a demand in cold storage. Those decisions we make in house, but then we're not like, oh, hey, let's go get into a different property type all of a sudden, or let's go be in six markets at once. Right. Like we'll get there. I'm not saying we're not growing. We mm -hmm. are growing. And there are times when you, of course, hit a ceiling of what you're doing and maybe you've got all everything there is out of that particular market at that particular time. Is that something you would like to do as a company, like dive into other asset classes within commercial real estate? Eventually. I mean, my mm -hmm. goal is that Harbor Capital is still just getting started a hundred years from now. Like I want to build right. a, a, you know, a dynasty of a company that lasts decades and generations. Um, and it would be short sighted to say that it is class B industrial forever. in mm -hmm. these couple of Texas cities will, will continue to expand and grow. Um, uh, you know, I don't know what the world is going to look like 30 years from now. I know what it looks like today. And today mm -hmm. we absolutely have no desire to go anywhere outside of this market because the deeper we get, I mean, I joke about it. We're, mm -hmm. we're an inch wide and a mile deep. Like mm -hmm. we're not spread real thin trying to decide, uh, you know, what is this neighborhood or who, who, you know, how does this work? We know what we know and we know everything there is to know about that. You know? Right. I'm glad you talked about the world, what it is going to look like in the future. One thing I wanted to ask you is how, what are your thoughts on just technology yeah. and commercial real estate, right? Because I've heard of things such as like fractional ownership and all of these other various like web three startups and yeah. all of these little things happening within the space because traditionally real estate is pretty, at least from my understanding, yeah, not very tech heavy. It's not. And uh -huh. it's funny. I'm not a big believer. I, people talk about like cold calling and you know using these auto dialers and trying to like I actually don't think that's how it works I think it works by knowing a very small area and knowing every single owner in that area we've bought most of our properties by literally knocking on doors like I'm not not like metaphorically I'm talking about knocking on doors like getting out of the car going up to the you know the little leasing office and showing up and saying like hey is your owner want to sell you know what yeah, tell me literally. about this building uh -huh. like that works and so i you know i mean there's all kinds of technology out there certainly a lot of it helps us i mean mm -hmm. we use juniper square for investment management that's fantastic we use uh, all kinds of different mapping software when we're searching for properties and i mean there's a lot that you can do now that you couldn't just in ease of having information at your fingertips but overall i i think that this market is going to largely remain you know, a, a kind of analog market. You've got to do the work if you want to be really successful in it. And you can't just sit at your desk. You know, I tweeted yesterday, it wasn't even about a property. A friend of mine got a, a roof inspection from somebody who was a roofer. And of course, you know, a roofer gets up on a roof and they're like, this whole thing needs to be replaced. It's shoddy work. Your, you know, your roof is, is shot. It's done. I know it's only five years old, but, and it's a 50 year roof, but I need to replace it. You're going to have to hire me. You know, <laughs> it's like, of course, um, I then got, I'm not joking, 30, maybe 40 DMS from people saying, Hey, I've got some software that will analyze your roof from satellite images and tell you if you need to replace your roof. Can we set up a call? Like, no, <laughs> no, you get up on the roof and you do an inspection. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. I don't, I'm not actually a big believer in like all these shortcut things. Right. Uh, many of those, I mean, I've seen them come and go over the years mm -hmm. of like, we're going to, you know, we're going to like just revolutionize the, you know, XY market with such and such AI technology. I was all of a sudden going to change it. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's not. That said, it, is appalling to me that we have not started to use blockchain technology to uh dis to determine who owns a piece of property the yes. fact that there is a county office with physical records in it that is they go and pull the drawers out and look up a parcel number and say oh that is owned by so-and-so because we haven't had it recorded and of course they're now backing them up in the cloud but it's still like physical copies of paper that, that decide ownership, like that absolutely needs to be in the cloud and needs to be a, you know, a, a blockchain technology that f tells you who owns what. I agree. Like smart contracts. Yeah. And this yeah. person is the only 
sole owner of this yeah. and nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Of course, there's other risks because then you've mm-hmm. got keys and someone could steal your keys and whatnot. But right. I think there are ways to do apply that technology mm-hmm. that would completely uh, just solve a problem that we have. You know, it's funny. I, three months ago, we were buying a property. Um, the title company sent me the correct documents. Oh, we always check them before we sign. This was right at the end. Title company sent me the correct documents. I notarized, got them notarized in front of a notary. It was the correct map attached to it of, you know, a, a meets and bounds showing exactly which property I was buying. Sent that back to the title company. They sent their recorder into the recorder's office. It's like a courier person that goes and records it. That person must have, this is all we can figure out happened, must have dropped a couple of papers, picked them up, and put the wrong meets and bounds property description on the wrong with the wrong document. And so I bought the wrong property. Mm-hmm. They transferred to me a completely wrong property. The title closed. I mean, this was a $3 million purchase. The land, wow. land, you know, the, not the land, the money transferred to the seller. The seller got money. Title company sent me document. And this is this, you know, meets and bounds is this piece of paper that it's like, you know, 45 degrees northwest and, you know, 15 feet south by southeast. There's a, you know, a marker on the ground labeled X, to, you know, whatever. You don't look at that and I, I can't, no one can read that and just know exactly what that means. So we get all the documents back and it's like, great, we bought the property. Of course, it's the correct, you know. And um, thankfully, we noticed it a couple of weeks later when we always go back and do a legal review before we file everything and make sure we've got it all in the right place. And it's like, oh, wait, this this property description does not match we bought the wrong property <laughs> so we go back to the title company and they were just mortified like oh my gosh i'm so sorry like they they fixed it it was all fixed within a week and everybody wow. had to sign a couple of like amendment documents to go uh-huh. back and put it all in place but i don't even know what we bought we basically bought somebody else's building that wasn't even correct you know wow wow that's in- <laughs> that's blockchain would solve that blockchain would solve that totally yes wow that would be that's surprising you'd think yeah. they'd be on top of it yeah they should be uh-huh. <laughs> that's awesome so i mean outside of real estate you know um i guess do you have i guess my more of my question is you know just generally speaking in regards to business or entrepreneurship i yeah. mean what do you suggest um for young people listening because the majority of yeah. this audience for this podcast is probably about 18 to 25 yeah and just you know how you know when what do you suggest (laughs) um i would say find somebody who you admire that's in the business and go show up at their door and say hey i'm working for free like i'm i i like what you're doing this makes sense how can i get involved and you're probably going to get no so you might have to do this to three or four different people but if, by finding somebody and, you know, often it's a broker or somebody who's just done a ton of business and just getting in the reps, figure out mm-hmm. how to be in the room when the decisions are happening, learn what, you know, how that market moves and what it, what are the key drivers behind it? And also use that time to learn about yourself. I mean, like some of our employees will you know start and think they want to do one thing and then after a little while it's like wow you're really interested in this over here aren't you like how do we kind of open that door for you and help you go off in that direction um i i think the best way to do that is just to be you know be in the room with people doing the things that you admire right hanging out with people who you know you want to or doing some of the things that you would like to do yeah mm-hmm. i mean and if that means honestly if that means you have to go deliver Domino's pizzas at night and spend, you know, show up and be like, Hey, I can be here from eight to noon every day. I'm going to work for free. You just put, you know, put me at a desk and let me do the most, you know, simplest task possible. I just want to be here. I don't care if that's filing papers or doing something really simple. Mm -hmm. I think that I, I would far prefer that than, going and getting a job in a market that you don't really care about. I guess the last question that I will end the podcast with is what, how do you, what is success? 
how do you define success for yourself? Um, you know, just in general, obviously you were very successful with Mm -hmm. your real estate career, but just what does success look like to you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm an extremely driven person. Like I just wake up and want more always. And I always have, I don't think that's going to go away (laughs) for me. And so I, I enjoy setting, I mean, so there's not some dollar amount. It's not like, Oh, I've got that. I've gotten to that point over and over again where I'm like, Oh, I need, you know, (laughs) this much net worth. And I get there and it's like, whatever, I'm still going Mm -hmm. that that's not the point. But I, I, I do really place a high value on be working with people. I enjoy uh, having some flexibility, being able to travel, being able to spend time with my kids. I mean, the fact that like my proudest accomplishment by far is the, you know, we have four kids touring. Well, one's finished college, one in college and two in high school right now that having a relationship with each of them just means so much to me. And that's by far the thing that I'm the proudest of. And there were times when I think that I was so busy that I just kind of wasn't as available as I wanted to be. And then as I've gotten older, it's like, it doesn't matter what's going on. Like, just be there whenever you can. And of course, I don't always get that right. And sometimes, you know, bring the stress of work home. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, you know, there's all kind of all these other things in life that that matter far more than money does. Right. Arranging your life so that you're able to kind of enjoy all of those things along the way is just super important mm-hmm. that's yeah. awesome yeah. well i appreciate you coming on to the show yeah man super excited about the podcast this is fun yeah this was a ton of fun did you say this is the second one this was the second podcast in the studio oh okay yeah second in the studio okay but um so you've been going for a little while doing some yes so right now it's zoom recordings averaging about an episode a month but i'm just super happy to have gotten started yeah because personally for me half the battle was just to publish yeah and good um, proud of you it's great no thank you um have you seen the founders podcast yes love it so good so david um i heard him getting interviewed recently and he was talking about that he's been doing this for six and a half years Mm -hmm. and basically just like goes into a closet and records these things but and it's so weird you know because this like this is interactive we get to right. talk that's just him like talk about sticking to it like I, I mean I went back and like more power to him I love the podcast as it is now I went back and was like I'm gonna go start from the beginning and started listening his early ones were like oh it took you a little while to hit your stride <laughs> like, right it just kind of and you know he, he basically was like just reading these books and at first just kind of talking about his thoughts and then later it started like writing a lot more down and like thinking through them first and then basically brought much more like kind of collected thoughts and kind of wisdom to the table which is really cool man it's so inspiring to hear people like i'm sure there were years in there where he was getting like 10 downloads before yeah you know i mean it's so cool and now like went and had dinner with charlie munger recently so like, cool he's yeah sam zell i yeah, believe he had, yeah, yeah yeah his uh i'd like to interview him yeah hopefully oh my soon. gosh um, yes that podcast quickly became one of my favorite podcasts it's so cool the concept right just studying um famous people entrepreneurs yeah. throughout history because yeah. also throughout college i started reading like non fiction books and i'm trying i'd like to think i'm graduating towards biographies because there's so much more insight yeah to learn from someone like john rockefeller or whoever else and so cool so cool yeah yeah i just started a new totally like passion project never Mm going to try to make money with it but i i it's like a sub stack people can sign up for and so I, i just send out an email every two weeks with my two favorite books that I've been reading. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's called Here's Two Books. <laughs> it's so much fun. But I, I love, like, I just constantly, like, taking in information. And it really helps me to then sit down and, sit, like, write out what did I learn from right. this? And what is this? What's interesting about this? Mm-hmm. Do you have any books that you are like, hey, these are my all-time favorite yeah, books? Um, one of my, and it's funny, I was talking to someone at a, a little, at somebody's house at an event last night. Um seven eaves it's called mm-hmm. it's a this is not a business book whatsoever yeah it's a science fiction kind of world building science fiction book i mean this thing's like eight 
maybe 900 pages. I I was just riveted through the entire entire thing. Loved that book. Um, that one is is super super good. Um, talking about Sam Zell earlier, his book, the Am I being subtle or am I being too subtle uh-huh. or something is is fantastic. That's but, on my list. Yeah, it's so. I mean, read mm-hmm. it, read it, read it. Like he's very irreverent. Uh, mm-hmm. Just dives right into the meat of real estate. Helps you understand stuff. I need to go read it again. It's been a little while since I read it. That is a good book. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to the founders episode on it. So oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Apparently, you know, he. Uh, yeah, he's. 86 or yeah. 90 years old and yeah. he's still doing deals still it's going. awesome yeah. it's so inspiring to see people just stick to their craft for extended amounts of time definitely yes yeah the coolest thing ever it's awesome it's inspiring huh yeah very inspiring cool cool yeah well let's do this again in a couple of years when you yeah let's do it thing. in a couple it's of awesome. years yes <laughs> love it's it cool. love it well appreciate your time yeah. um where can people find you online um at Levi James here on Twitter is my Twitter handle. Awesome. I'm on there way too much. Enjoy it. Have gotten a ton of value out of Twitter. I'm hoping Elon Musk doesn't destroy it because it's it's been a really special place for the real uh-huh. estate community. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you for coming on. For sure. Appreciate it. Thanks for awesome. having me. Of course. Woo. <laughs> <laughs>